1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 88, recorded June 21st, 2012.
0: Star Trek Summer Movie Spectacular Part 2. two, two, two. Yeah, so we're going to finish off Countdown with Countdown number 4, and then do the first two issues of Star Trek Nero.
1: Yes. And as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm just get done with Countdown, which I love. And then I start reading Nero for the first time, and I'm loving it too.
0: Yep, they're both good. Yes. And they tie into each other. There's a lot of symmetry, which we'll get into here later.
1: Right. And it's interesting how the stories dovetail with the movie. So, countdown, 2009 movie, partway, Nero, rest of 2009 movie.
0: Right. And a lot of the cut scenes that were in, that was supposed to be in 2009, are in... Nero so that was that was cool that they stuck those back in there right
1: got to find out what happened
0: yeah because those aren't even on the dvd i don't think or the blu-ray Some. well
1: well okay so there is that one scene where Nero's on his back in i don't want to in a prison let's just say and there's a Klingon walking around him with the face mask on
0: right i love the helmets
1: yeah, I love the I like the helmet too, and and so that much I saw on the web, and I assume that was on the DVD. Although, quite frankly, I never I never looked for it.
0: Yeah, it's on the it's on the deleted scenes in, on the Blu-ray.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, well, I, I got there's, there's more that's about.
0: in the in the book that I'll talk about when when we get there.
1: Okay, cool. So um, I get to do countdown number four. So shall I begin?
0: Yes, let's go.
1: Excellent. So this is the last installment of Countdown. Uh, it's the fourth. Its published date is April 2009. Story: a lot of the same people are involved, but I'll just uh, go ahead and take it from the top since this is a new episode. Roberto Orkey and Alex Kurtzman did the story. The actual writers of the comic from the story is done by Mark Johnson and Tim Jones. Colorist is De- or artist rather is David Messina. Color art is Giovanna Nero. Color artist is Ilara Traversi, letterer is Robbie Robbins, creative consultant David Baranov, editor is Scott Dunbayer.
0: Would you say this is the final countdown?
1: Oh, I think it is. Cue nope. the music. All
0: right, uh, we can't play it due to copyright. Technical
1: reasons. person, technical. Uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> and we don't have a technical person to do that. A recording engineer is just us. Okay. The cover shows a close-up of Spock's face with a blue background and blue U to his skin. The retail incentive alternate cover shows Zachary Quinto in pretty much the same pose as the drawn picture of Nimoy as Spock. The story opens up near the border of the Klingon and Romulan Empires, where an epic battle is taking place between General Worf of the Klingon Empire leading dozens of Klingon ships... On an attack of Nero's significantly upgraded mining ship, the Narada. Nero's shields are withstanding the Klingon barrage very well. When Worf communicates with Nero, he tells him his shields will weaken eventually. Nero says Worf has never been up against a ship like the Narada before and engages its cloak. From the cloak ship, the Narada fires their weapons and takes out several Klingon ships. After the demonstration of Nero's superiority, he asks Worf to come aboard the Narada where he will accept his surrender for the Klingon Empire. Worf agrees and makes preparations to come across in a shuttle as Nero instructed. As Nero suspected, it was all going too easily. Worf stops short of the airlock and in space suits he and his shuttle crew starts cutting into the Narada hull. Nero orders a welcoming party to meet the General when he makes his way in. Meanwhile on Vulcan, Spock is discussing the high-pressure craft named the Jellyfish with its creator, Geordie LaForge. Geordie is discussing the red matter containment and distribution system, as well as the ship's voice controls that will respond solely to Spock. Captain Data and Ambassador Picard join them by the unusual ship. Data informs them that Admiral Worf and his fleet has engaged the Narada. Picard suggests to Spock that if Nero is on his way to Vulcan, now is the time to execute Spock's mission. Spock says even if he neutralizes the Hobus Nova, he believes Nero will still be bent on revenge. Picard asks Spock to leave Nero to them. The Enterprise will join Worf in the battle. In the Narada, the welcoming party is having little success against Worf and his boarding party. The Klingons are making short work of the Romulan miners. Worf instructs his men to meet him on the bridge and kill anything they find along the way. On the Narada Bridge, Worf calls to Nero to come out and die with honor. Rather than doing so, Nero uses a piece of Borg tech, a long autonomous tentacle ending in a nasty spike, to skewer the brave Klingon like a barbecue shish kebab. Nero says he read up on the general in the Enterprise databanks and discovered the only way he could beat Worf was by surprise. Nero says he will use the same tactics when he gets to the Klingon home world after he has destroyed Vulcan and Earth. The whole galaxy will share the pain of Romulus. Later, the Enterprise arrives at the site of the battle. The debris of the destroyed Klingon ships is floating everywhere. The Narada decloaks. Nero says hello to the Enterprise and surmises Spock is on his way to the Nova since he is not among them. Picard says his crusade ends here. The full weight of the Federation will be brought to bear on him if he does not surrender. Nero addresses Captain Data and says, Worf! who is clearly visible over Nero's shoulder, has some life still left in him. Like a grinning, toothy lion, Nero says all Data has to do is lower his shields and they can beam Worf over to the Enterprise. They know it's a trap, but if they do not get Worf off that spike, he will die soon. The decision is Captain Data's. Data orders the shields down. Nero, true to his word, beams the bloody Klingon over and promptly opens fire on the Enterprise! The Enterprise takes heavy fire before they can raise their shields again. They sustain heavy damage to engineering, specifically. warp drive is out. Nero compliments the Enterprise for being a tougher ship than he expected. Since he can't stay any longer to get through their shields and finish the job, he wishes them well and takes off to rendezvous with Spock. He says if they can make repairs quickly enough, they might be able to join the party. Nero takes off and data reports the damage is contained enough that they should be able to get warp drive back on in minutes. Meanwhile at the Hobus Nova, Spock is broadcasting what he believes will be the last words logging his mission progress. He does not expect to be able to escape the gravitational pull of the singularity he intends to create. He delivers the red matter into the heart of the Nova and hopes for success. He is rewarded with the formation of a black hole that begins to consume the Nova. Just then, the Narada appears, and very close to the jellyfish. Nero gets his verbal vengeance on Spock, congratulating Spock on saving his own people at the cost of Nero's people. Before he can give the command to destroy the jellyfish, Nero is told the Narada is trapped in the gravitational grip of the Singularity. Nero orders full power, but to no avail. They are pulled in, and shortly afterward, so is the jellyfish. The Enterprise arrives on the scene to confirm the Hobus Nebula has been consumed by the Singularity. Apparently, so has Nero and Spock, since there is no trace of their ships. Picard and Data acknowledge Spock knew he would not make it out of this alive. He sacrificed himself to save them all. Picard hopes his soul will live long and prosper. The final page says to be continued on the screen in Star Trek. That's it. Pretty cool. Teeing up the movie like that.
0: Too bad the Enterprise couldn't follow suit.
1: Well, that would be... Eh, that would be interesting.
0: <laughs> uh, it, would be interesting uh, it was good. But, uh, I enjoyed this issue. Me too. I don't have a ton to talk about it because there wasn't a lot of... Uh, I mean, we, we, we really beat up on the things that take a little bit to, to swallow in the last episode, so I'm not right. going to do that again. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. It was good. I like it.
1: Yeah, I like it too. I especially like how they were able to use a lot of the next-gen crew throughout the four issues. Love that. And I really like that they gave Worf some good, meaty, macho Klingon stuff to do.
0: You like that. You like him oh, getting skewered.
1: Uh, they, well, yeah. That too. But, I mean... Come on. Great action. Uh, uh high really stakes.
0: Don't. But what was he planning on doing? It wasn't gonna like he was going to go in and being just covert. They knew he was coming in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but okay. So you got Klingons, soldier Klingons kicking butt against these uh miners. Now, uh, obviously in the end, Worf did not pay enough credence to Nero's duplicitous nature but also the the uh, borg tech that was inside of the ship as well as on the outside of the ship right so he didn't you know he didn't he didn't bargain for that so worf was very klingon in this in his uh, actions where he was just right in his face and uh he was full court press and you know very macho very chuck norris you know very charles <laughs> bronson taking it to him and when he was inside that, that Narada Bridge, ready to just just walk up to Nero and just kill him, uh, I thought that was great. And then when he got skewered from behind, that was like, oh, man. I thought he was dead. He should have been dead, you know.
0: Yeah, right. But it did go through his stomach, so, I mean.
1: Well, you assume so. Obviously, it didn't go through his heart, or else it right. would have been well, dead. I
0: mean, it shows him at one point hanging there and it's it's definitely going through his abdomen.
1: Yeah. Movie movie macho, man. I think uh <laughs> I think they uh I think that was that was great writing for uh a Klingon.
0: So so do you think they had a too many next gen cameos or do you think they should have tried to squeeze in Crusher and Riker and Troy?
1: Well at this point yeah well. I, I think trying to get anybody on the Titan into this would have been probably a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. And the continuity apparently had Crusher off doing something too, so...
0: Um. Right. Yeah, I'm okay with... In fact, I think they probably had too many cameos. I mean, I liked the four that did show up, but... Right. It still seemed a little coincidental that, you know, like you said last week, Picard just happens to be the Vulcan ambassador, which makes sense, even logically it, it makes sense but it, it is kind of a coincidence
1: yeah well it is but i think more of a coincidence because wouldn't you think wouldn't the vulcan ambassador be kind of a cake job i mean you know they're our buddies you know what's going to happen right it'd be kind of boring really i would think and i, I would think i would think if you want to use picard's talents put him someplace where there's a lot of problems like, that need solving
0: like klingon like Kronos,
1: <laughs> some yeah, something like I mean, that. Because uh, then
0: he even—I mean—it's established in the next gen TV show that he has some sort of diplomatic savvy as far as you know the inner workings of the Klingon Empire. You think that uh, he would have been the natural choice there,
1: exactly. But again, maybe we're so buddy-buddy with them by this point, it's it's not necessary. But then why is he on uh, on Vulcan anyway, Well, when so, this
0: comic book came out, they were definitely. Hand in hand with the timeline of the um, Star Trek online video game, oh cool. which takes place like ten years after this book, and in that continuity, the Klingon Empire has taken advantage of Romulus's destruction and and they're now trying to take over the galaxy and uh oh. So they're definitely the bad guys again in that t- in that timeline. Oh, mm, interesting. Which, when this came out, they were trying to keep those two things in the same universe with the the uniforms matching and things like that. So, which
1: me never playing the game, no idea about the uniforms or that continuity you just mentioned there. But um, I think it's cool they did that.
0: Yeah, you should. If you get on, my ship's name is the USS Yoda Ears.
1: No, oh God.
0: Hail me when you get there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you'll have to be online, right? Or will it just hold the message I just, for I, I
0: haven't played it all that much. Okay, well. Okay. But I did pull it up the other day, and I'm still there. Yoda Ears is is in dry dock. Uh, okay,
1: <laughs> Captain. Yeah, I, I don't have much more to say about it else, uh, other than if you get sucked into a singularity, I'm pretty mu- sure most of the physicists are saying... The gravitational, the extreme gravitational forces are going to destroy you before you get anywhere near the 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 center of the singularity. Right. So now,
0: now there is the theory of time travel within the uh, the event horizon of a black hole, but it it doesn't quite work like like they're talking about here. Basically, the closer well, you get to the the center of the black hole, the the slower time moves for you versus the rest of the universe. So if you could kind of get into a singularity and then out, you would be propelled further in the future. Because for you, it was just a few minutes. In reality, it might be years.
1: Well, that's interesting. At least that's a little more plausible because you're not actually going through the singularity.
0: Right, right.
1: Which seems patently ridiculous. But then also being able to get back out of the gravitational force is a bit of a trick. Right. Um you know, like, di- holes, like dipping your foot in the water and then pulling it back out again.
0: Right. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, you saw the Disney movie, The Black Hole ah! with, uh, with Anthony <laughs> oh, Perkins. That's a
1: long time ago. <laughs> Good lord.
0: That one they went to the other side of the universe. It was more of a wormhole type thing. Right. And there was one other thing I really remember about that movie. Boring. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I agree. And the first Star Trek movie uh, was boring. Yeah, they came out at the same time. Yeah, right. About, yeah, maybe the same summer. I don't know. But I I love good science fiction. But it's like, you know, maybe I've got the attention span of a tsetse fly. But, you know, you got to keep things moving to some degree. Or I don't care how good the science fiction is. You will lose my attention.
0: Yeah, to be fair for Black Hole, I watched it when I was a kid. And I was growing up on Star Wars, and Black Hole was a, def- a different beast than Star Wars was. So I, I, it may be better than than what I'm remembering.
1: Yeah, well, I was older than you, and I mm. saw the same time, and I don't remember it much differently.
0: Mm. Okay,
1: it was it was slow. But
0: all right, well, back to this this issue. I have two more comments. I think that uh, Picard takes a little too much command of the Enterprise uh, for an ambassador. I mean, there for a while, it seems like he was calling all the shots with the interaction with Nero, and then Nero stops addressing Picard and says, oh yeah, by the way, Data, I have Worf. I'll beam him over. (laughs) But up until that point, Data was just kind of standing there letting Picard call all the shots, which I didn't really like. I mean...
1: I'm fine with it. I mean, you know, Captain Spock... And then when Kirk came on board, Admiral Kirk, it's like...
0: Admiral Kirk, not not yeah. Ambassador Kirk.
1: Well, come on.
0: You think that he would let Sarek just take over the ship?
1: It's, that's not the same thing at all. I'm saying, so, no, you're, 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 you're tying the titles and, and making it, oh, because they're both ambassadors, they're equal. They're not. I mean, he was, the ca- he was his captain forever. You think Stata wouldn't defer to Picard if he wanted him to?
0: No, I see that, and that's why I'm letting it go. I'm just saying yeah, I think he right. took over a little too much.
1: Yeah, I think so. And it wasn't funny how Nero is the guy that calls him on it.
0: Right. <laughs> I <thought laughs> Which I didn't.
1: I didn't underline that in the synopsis. I mean, you gotta you gotta cut something out. But right. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the other thing you cut out that I liked uh, was when Picard says, "Let us take care of Nero." Yeah. Well, I love how Spock says, "Remember that Nero's still a good man. He's just overcome oh. by his emotions." You love, I, I you love, love that love Spock that? still sees some good in him.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, uh, it, which is unfounded, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, in the end, he is so over, you know, over the waterfall at this point on the dark side of the Force. It's like, uh, you know, that's nice of you, Spock, but you know. He just skewered Worf, so, you know.
0: <laughs> well, as we'll see, uh, Nero's return to the past uh, is, is going to be even more traumatic than what he's gone through so far. So uh, he, he might have been able to redeem himself even after skewering Worf, but um, I think it's going so far.
1: And blowing up three hospital ships
0: and several other ships. I mean, yep, it, we right. saw the three hospital ships, but they, yep. they they mentioned that there was a lot more.
1: Plus we saw those people floating in space, right? Exactly. I don't I think that was the aftermath of a of a of a federation ship attack other than the uh, medical ship. So Yep. It was. Yep. It's so the, the, very nice of you to remember that he was a good man, Spock, but that is in the past. <laughs> and and Picard knows it and uh, you know, so
0: and that's why he's like, I'll take care of it. You, you just worry about your jellyfish mission.
1: Exactly, which is the more important one, and we'll take care of Nero. I like how Picard is on top of it and says he knows they need to take care of him. And the the re, in a previous issue, I think it was the third issue, where Picard had said, we've got it covered. I assume what he meant was the, the Federation ships that might have tried to take him on, but definitely also Worf. Right. So, well, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, We don't know enough about the Federation ships that he came up against, but I think that's part of what uh, Picard was talking about. But ultimately, I think Picard was savvy enough that he got a hold of uh, Worf.
0: Well, I, I don't think that was the first Klingon attack force that attacked Nero, because when Spock and Picard are talking in issue three, saying that uh, they think Nero is destroying all these ships. They do mention that there's been several Klingon ships that have gone missing, too. Right. So, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I, I just want to know. I, was, I just would like to know how many other Klingon attack forces before Wharf also failed.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And okay, I cool. liked how the Enterprise took a beating and kept on. Taken. Yep.
1: Yes. Um, I, I love
0: me some Enterprise.
1: enterprise E, Of course, by this point, perhaps not the most advanced ship in the fleet, since it's so much later in time, but I always loved that design.
0: Only eight years, so how far after First Contact was Nemesis, you think?
1: I don't know. I don't know, but I I do know when we were first introduced to it in First Contact, obviously it's the most advanced ship in the fleet. Time has passed, new ships could have came up, you know. But still, at least they held on to that Enterprise this long. Yeah. They were going, they, in the movie uh, timeline, they started going through ships. <laughs>
0: well, when you got a bigger budget, you can go through your ships faster.
1: Exactly. You don't want things to get stayed. <laughs> plenty, as Picard says, plenty of letters, number one. Okay, so should we go on to number two?
0: Yeah. So speaking of or, letters, or have you seen the pictures of Star Trek? Or the Enterprise E or F? Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, I don't want to slow down this this issue or this uh, episode, but uh, after the previous episode, 87, where we were talking about ships, including the Titan, I had seen some things on the web that was pointing to different ships that fans had put up. So it was like, at first I was like, ooh, the next Enterprise, 1702, NCC 1702. And it was like, oh, okay, let me look at this. And it's just some fan-generated thing. Okay, fine. And then I looked at G or F, something like that, which was the really spindly one.
0: Yeah, that was G. That was from G. Enterprise when he went into the future. There you go. Okay. Archer went in the future.
1: Also, I am pretty sure that that was one of the, or, or close to looking like one of the concepts of the Enterprise they were going to use for the Excelsior.
0: The original Excelsior?
1: The original Excelsior. So, Nimoy, who was the director, was instrumental in picking, rather than picking that really futuristic-looking spindly one, he went with the Excelsior design that we know of that looks a little bit more like a traditional Starfleet ship.
0: Hmm. I did not know that.
1: Anyway, um, so I'm just saying that, that the two look similar the way I remember one of the two options that was put before Nemoy and the producers of uh was it 3 or 4 well whichever one where they introduced the uh excelsior
0: uh that was 3
1: okay so back to e or uh g e, f f g, f yes uh i don't know that i've seen f
0: yeah they have show they, they it's come out for the game okay. and it's considered I guess and it's and canonical and as anything else, but yeah. it, it it looks a lot like the E, except it's a little different. Look like it up when you get a chance. K- like
1: you'd kind of assume.
0: Right. Yeah, it's the Odyssey class. Odyssey
1: class. Oh, nice.
0: Shall we uh, jump into Nero? Let's do it. Nero number one came out, uh, I think it's March. No, wait. August oh, 2009. Oh, yeah, there it is. August 2009. The writers and everything is the same as part four of Countdown, so I'm not going to butcher their names. Mm. (laughs) Uh, The normal cover, it's again in the same four-panel style as Countdown, so if you get all four issues, you can put them together and make the uh, Star Trek swoosh with the different pictures. So this is the top left-hand corner of the swoosh, and it's... um, Nero kind of looking at you and then the retail photo cover is for whatever reason McCoy
1: who's the the new Judge Dredd by the way
0: yeah I haven't watched the trailer yet I saw that it's out alright so the story starts off just minutes after the USS Kelvin has rammed into the Narada as we saw in Star Trek 2009 movie and all the Federation shuttles have uh, already escaped And one of them obviously ferrying the newborn James Kirk to safety. So Nero and his crew are making repairs. Nero even has a tinge of respect for the young man who sacrificed himself and his ship to save the remaining crew. Nero suspects that Spock and the jellyfish will also survive the time travel and be coming back through the black hole at any time. Nero takes an hour to himself to gather his thoughts and lay out a plan. He thinks about returning to the Romulus of this time and perhaps watch their grandparents and their loved ones be born again. But alas, his hatred and need for revenge are too great. When his hour is up, he goes to address the crew. All of the time displaced Romulans have gathered into a large hall. Nero lays out their goal. They are going to destroy Vulcan and the Federation once and for all so that they cannot betray Romulus again in the future. One of his crew speaks up and suggests that perhaps they can change the order of events by returning home and giving them warning. Nero uses some flawed time travel logic saying that the destruction of Romulus has happened and will happen because if it has not happened, then they wouldn't remember it. He does, however, give the crew a chance to leave. He will allow them to board a shuttle and depart the Narada. Sometime later, two shuttles depart the Narada and head away. On the bridge, Nero watches them leave. He then takes control of the weapon system and destroys them with a missile. Stating, nothing will stop us from our goal. Nothing. Nero starts to try to calculate where and when Spock's ship will arrive. Before they can start, the ship is shaked by an attack by five Klingon attack ships. Still crippled from the Kelvin sacrifice, the Narada is unable to destroy them, the Klingon ships as they did the Klingon ships of the future. Captain Kor of the Klingon fleet contacts Nero, proving, and with Captain Kor, also proves once and for all that the Klingons of the 23rd century did indeed have bumpy heads. Kor does not buy Nero's story that they're just a simple mining ship that got caught in a solar storm. He orders Klingon troopers to board and overtake the Nerada. Nero tells his crew that if this is how their story ends, then so be it. As the Klingons beam in, the Romulans are able to make short work of them. Nero even uses his spear to place into the pattern buffer of a transporting Klingon, so that when they reappear, the spear is already deep in their skulls. Despite this, however, the crew is eventually outnumbered and captured by the Klingons. Sometime later, Nero wakes up in a cold, dark cell on Rua Penthe. Nero has taken a vow of silence and has given the Klingons nothing, despite the torture. However, some of his crew have been broken, and the Klingons now know that they are displaced in time and that they're stranded. The story ends with a shot from high orbit above Aurora Penthe. We can clearly see that the Narada is also in orbit around the prison planet. To be continued.
1: Hmm. Teeing things up further. Getting into a little bit of trouble with the Klingons, eh?
0: Right, which, which was in the original movie, just uh, cut out for whatever reason. Time.
1: yeah. It, it was still a two-hour-plus movie, and it had an awful lot of stuff in it, so unfortunately. But yeah. at least these bits, they, they actually filmed some of this stuff. What we saw in Countdown was definitely all in the original cards of what Orky and Kurtzman had written, but they never filmed any of that stuff. At least some of this stuff they filmed.
0: Right. Now, I've never seen any footage of the Klingons taking over the Narada. I have seen pictures and I've seen scenes where Nero's on the prison planet. Right. But they did come out with a toy of a Klingon battleship. So, obviously, they they were planned on being in the movie at some point. Right. Although I've never actually seen footage from the movie with a Klingon ship in it.
1: Another thing that I, th- I thought I had written this down, but maybe I never did, and I don't think I, I mentioned it last time, but there were two ornaments, Hallmark ornaments, Christmas ornaments, tree, Christmas tree ornaments, that came out of the 2009 movie. The first one, naturally, was the reenvisioned Enterprise. Matter of fact, I'm looking at it right there. It's like hanging in front of my uh, my monitor. But the second one was a Klingon ship, a Klingon battle cruiser, And it was like, this is a very cool, highly detailed, very cool... Klingon cruiser, but they weren't in the movie. <laughs> so it was like, so there's another example of where some things that were originally planned to be in the movie had perhaps been the genesis of some tie in marketing products, but in the end seem a little out of place with what was actually what actually made it into the movie. Right.
0: And I love how in the movie what we do see of the Klingons that never shows their head. It shows them wearing a helmet that's bumpy, but you don't know if their face underneath is bumpy. But here in the right. comic book, the Klingons are definitely the bumpy-skulled Klingons. Right.
1: And really, that's that's the movie continuity, so just get with the program.
0: <laughs> so you didn't like that Enterprise tried to retcon the <sighs> head?
1: No, it's, it's not that I don't like it. It's just I just didn't think it was necessary. Right. I mean, it's just like, you know you got a bigger budget now, so, you know, go wacky with the makeup.
0: Well, and makeup's better. I mean, can you imagine what the Klingons would have looked like if they tried to do that in the 60s?
1: Nah. And have big
0: Gorn heads. (laughs) Nah.
1: Yeah, the Gorn outfit, although I do love it, and I think they did great work with the technology they had then, it it does look cheesy.
0: Well, look at the Thelosians. They look cheesy. I, with the big pulsating. I don't.
1: Well, aids. I. I think they. I. I think they did a good job with the Telosians myself. I think they did a terrible job. I think. I think the Yeti was a terrible. Was it Yeti? Did they call it Yeti? Probably not. Um, in that. In that one where the white ape with the horn.
0: The Mugatu.
1: Mugatu. That's it.
0: <laughs> I thought the
1: Mugatu was terrible. <laughs> but uh, but I I, I kind of dug the Telosians. But yeah. Hmm. If you focus in on, on the head where it's going in and out, yeah, you can probably see it's just some loose latex or something they got up there with a the balloon under it, but come on.
0: Well, it was still pretty new as yeah. far as makeup goes.
1: Right, and you can just see that draped down the back of that actor was some guy with a, a clear plastic pipe, you know, a tubing, you know, with some kind of little uh, turkey-based or bulb at the end of it, you know, injecting air in it once in a while, oh yeah, that's great
0: all right captain core that's that's introduced here he's a foil for Captain Kirk a lot in the uh, original series, right
1: oh that's what I thought, oh at least at least the name seemed extremely familiar, so Organia yeah. Is- or, or, or yeah, Organia Organian was treaty. the
0: treaty and the, and the play the planet. The planet I don't remember right. what the episode was Organian.
1: called. Organian, yeah, I forgot it too. But...
0: Errand of Mercy. Is that it?
1: Uh, eh, I don't think so, but maybe um, you could be right. <laughs> but the main point is, it and I wasn't don't know any of
0: the, the original series titles, and I finally throw out one, and you're going to say, yeah, no, you're wrong. No, no, I,
1: <laughs> I, I I'm not saying you're wrong.
0: I'm not saying I'm right either, so we'll just <laughs> keep going.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um,
0: but his name was Core, right? Yeah, I think it was Core. Cor. I
1: think I think so. It's just that when I was reading this, and I really didn't want to put into a lot of a lot of thought into it, a lot of research. But I was I was reading, and I, I saw the word Core. It's like, oh, that, we've seen him before. But then I was thinking, wow, this is—he
0: would be old.
1: Yeah. Because like, Corey lives
0: all the way up until twenty three, whatever, oh. whatever. Because he dies on a Deep Space Nine episode. Yeah, <laughs>
1: right. A very ripe old Klingon. Which how often does that happen? Apparently, like three or four times. Because they yeah, have right. like Cause four they all showed Klingons. Up. Yeah. <laughs>
0: anyway, moving on. Anyway, so I, I didn't know if that was supposed to be the same core or if this was supposed to be his father or or what.
1: I don't know. But I, I do agree with the name uh, being the same.
0: Because he doesn't look 30 years older than Spot, uh, Kirk right. when, when we see him in, in those episodes.
1: Right. All
0: well, right.
1: I guess Klingons are long-lived like everybody else. We seem to be the wimps that don't, la- that don't, don't last long. Yeah. All right. I, I really enjoyed how this story started, like, directly after the destruction of the Kelvin. I thought that was cool. I loved it.
0: Yeah. And I liked how... Nero actually respected George for his sacrifice. Well, not only that... As, as much as he could for a human.
1: Right. And not only that, you know, I, I kind of like it and I kind of don't like it, where they say at the very last minute before Impact, George had the wherewithal to try to jump to warp, to increase the amount of damage that they could do. right? So it was like, oh, well, I didn't know that from the movie. I mean, was that something they just added in or just something that, that Orky and Kurtzman always had in the plans, but they just... Didn't go. They didn't make a big point of it in the movie because you 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 don't know that. I mean, when it impacts, you you see it from a distance, and you know uh, the uh, the Narada begins to list. But other than that, you don't know exactly how much damage she took. Right. Uh, But obviously, they had to do something here to say, "Hey, the Narada had a lot of damage, Uh, enough damage that it took well a long time to fix."
0: Right. I don't want to. And to give it a reason why it couldn't take out the Klingon battle fleet of a hundred years earlier where we've seen Narada take out.
1: That's right. Because we want to see Nero be put through the mill here and his crew.
0: Yeah, well, he had to justify why he disappears for 25 years. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Anyway.
1: I thought it was a little odd that they decided to take Captain Rabot's body and feed it into the replicators.
0: Right. The ship's replicators.
1: Because it was like I didn't know the replicators worked that way. I mean, of course, this is all made-up stuff, but Mm -hmm. I thought the replicators were fed energy, and they were able to convert that energy into matter uh, with specific patterns. I didn't know you fed matter into replicators and then changed the matter into new things, like uh, a food, which really is kind of gross.
0: Anyway, Mm -hmm. um,
1: I didn't know it worked that way.
0: I don't know. I kinda read something one time where they were talking about how it, it did that. Yeah. How it even took like, you know, anything that was waste and then be able to take out the parts that they can reuse and then uh it would be, you know, replicated later into something else. Which then made you wonder, you know, does that mean poop? <laughs> <laughs> Now, Troy's chocolate sundays don't look quite so appetizing.
1: No. Oh, <laughs> especially with the chocolate syrup. Oh, no.
0: Anyways, yeah, I've heard that argument that, that it was done that's how they worked, but I don't.
1: But know. I, it, but maybe maybe it's two two levels of technology. I mean, if you just tra- if you maybe it is not as hard to take existing matter and transform it into another form of matter where to actually take energy and transform it into matter might be more advanced technology. I don't know. But it's like, come on. You know, the the, the big thing where they're talking about in Voyager, how, how Voyager has the ability to create water using the replicators. It's like, oh, that's fantastic. It's like, well, I just thought it was energy that was feeding into it. I don't know. Whatever. But it's kind of gross. Mm. Uh, to feed bodies into it. Eeh. Uh, So they're
0: on page ten when it shows Nero destroying those shuttles. Yeah. The third the third row of panels down, it, it shows two like crystalline things leaving the Narada. I couldn't tell, were those supposed to be the missiles or are those supposed to be the shuttlecraft?
1: Well, there's one shuttlecraft, I think. So I'm guessing those were the torpedoes. But, uh, okay, so now I've gotten to that page. Yeah, the, the, those are the torpedoes.
0: But why do they look like crystals?
1: Well, they kind of look like that in the movie. Did they? Yeah. Okay. Uh, crystally, crystally. Yeah, yeah. I think it did.
0: I just thought it was weird. It never actually shows the shuttle even leaving or anything. What do you... Well, they do at the top of the page. Where? And
1: by the way, I think it's a very cool-looking shuttle.
0: Oh, that's the shuttle.
1: Oh, you thought it was the back of the Narada?
0: I thought it was the front of the Narada. Oh, Okay, I see it now. No, so that
1: would have been the back of the Narada. If if that okay, so I okay when I first saw this panel, I thought the shuttle was the back of the Narada, okay.
0: and yeah, I was right, looking right, at right. that the saying,
1: back. "Oh, that's yeah." If
0: the tentacles are in the front, yeah, it would, right. I thought it was the back then too.
1: So oh, so we don't see the back of the Narada much. The back looks pretty cool. Then I'm looking at it close. It's like oh, that's the shuttle. Cool shuttle. Okay. I think it's a cool look. It, it almost looks like a like an alien head. Right. As in the movie Alien.
0: Right, right. It looks like a helmet or something. Right. Like a Predator helmet, kind of.
1: Exactly. And the only thing that really looks a little bit like uh, Borg, I think, is that little circuit board-looking thing in the very front.
0: Well, see, I wasn't sure. Is the shuttle supposed to be a Borg shuttle, or would it just be a normal the normal shuttle that they used in Countdown to beam up those miners?
1: No, I don't... That is an interesting point. Maybe we should open it. I'm pretty sure this is an enhanced shuttle, just like the Narada. Narada is enhanced with Borg tech.
0: Well, I'm jumping over here and, you it and Yeah, up? it does not look anything like the shuttle at in countdown number 1.
1: Okay. When when they went warp speed to pick up the miners off of the drilling platform?
0: Yes. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, though no, that okay. shuttle looked completely different. So yeah, I guess they Borged up the shuttles too.
1: which how much do you need Borg technology for a shuttle but Uh, maybe faster makes it faster yeah Yeah, but uh, so so that that whole thing I guess addressed two different points Uh, number one that maybe not everybody wanted to go along on uh, Nero's Mary mission uh, Don Quixote mission but and also number two he's willing to do anything including killing some of his own people
0: yeah he's crazy yeah. He's, he's, Spock is wrong, there's no good in him
1: <laughs> No good left And quite frankly, even when he was at his best He was an untrustworthy cuss
0: yeah, He seemed alright well, He seemed, well, oh, I don't know He loved his wife He Well, okay, that's good But uh, he um, could uh, with Spock until he thought that Spock wasn't going to help him And then he well, went off on his own But in the
1: end, he was completely mistrusting of Data and the Enterprise I think he was very mistrusting of, or at least whatever trust he gave to uh, Spock, only went so far. Um, right. I, 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 is it xenophobic, where you don't trust anybody who isn't your race or something? I definitely think he was that, even at the very beginning. So right. yes, I see that he had some good in him, but there's a lot. Of, I think he always had a lot of uh, uh, a significant portion of bad.
0: Right. Yeah, I see it.
1: But uh, I, I did have a note just saying how cool I thought the shuttle looked.
0: Yeah, now that I actually see it, <laughs> I agree with you.
1: Cool-looking shuttle. I, I, the, again, the coloring, the blue-black coloring of it, it looks really nice.
0: Right. Yep.
1: Uh, you mentioned how Nero put the blade of his staff into the materializing Klingon's head. I thought that was very cool.
0: Yeah, that was really awesome. <laughs> and it proves just how vulnerable you are during those few seconds when the transporter effects beaming you down right because you could stick anything in there a stick, a bomb
1: yeah <laughs> a, a pencil
0: you know no, it's it, like you know you a, just,
1: yeah, but you want your foot back
0: <laughs> you just pull it out later
1: yeah if you put a pencil in there that that's cheaper you know it's you know number two pencil, who cares
0: right yeah I said just a stick
1: yeah exactly okay, okay, cling on yeah you could you can keep the pencil I don't want it anymore.
0: Well, there's, there That's was that one was episode of Enterprise where they tried to beam somebody up during a, a, a storm of some sort, and, right. and he got beamed up with a bunch of leaves embedded in his skin. Oh! Leaves and dirt and stuff. Cause, oh, right. Because it was supposed to show that Transporter f- is not 100% like it is in the future.
1: Right. Still an emerging tech.
0: All right. But uh, I guess that can even happen here in the 23rd century. I thought it was cool. Liked it. Yeah. Very nice. And then my last little nitpick, and you're going to laugh at me, is when, when the Klingons pick up Captain Lebeau's sh- tunic, Okay. the insignia is flipped. <laughs> I don't know why they can't get that right.
1: I don't know. Uh, again, I did not notice. I have three last comments. Number one, I think it's so cool that Nero and company were taking a Ruripenthe. I thought it was great. Let's get that in there again. Uh, Third time's a charm. Exactly. <laughs> it's great to keep going there. And the last things I have don't have to do with the story, really, but ads. So it, almost at the end, there's an ad for a Doctor Who comic. That looks pretty cool. Although who the guy is standing next to the, the Doctor, and this is the David Tennant Doctor, I don't have any idea. But he's black and white, and he's got kind of like a top hat on or something. He look ki- looks kind of retro.
0: Well, yeah, he's in the 1920s Hollywood, so he's supposed to be kind of like Charlie Chaplin type character.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, who that other guy is.
0: Okay. Right, yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. And then the other one is there's a comic ad for, for a comic called Starstruck, which is a few pages before the Doctor Who advertisement. And it's like, oh, homina, homina. Oh, yeah. It's like, what's that? You know, I, I might buy that one. I mean the the, the the two women in the in the co- oh, I assume is a cover, but in the ad is uh, quite attractive, and the one standing even has a nipple on her shoulder.
0: Ah, I don't think that's a nipple. It looks like a nipple. It look does look, it. look like one.
1: <laughs> so okay, maybe it's just a piece of very specially shaped uh, outfit, but it's like geez.
0: Now that that's actually an old comic book. Is it? It, it it was actually um, it was actually in heavy metal. That, well, that okay. Well,
1: it it mentions heavy metal in there in the ad, but it's like I never heard of it before. But it's oh, like homina, Hamina.
0: Let me look at it again. <sighs> so. Oh yeah, first serialized in Heavy Metal magazine, then Marvel graphic novel. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so uh, I think at
1: least art wise, IDW is doing a good job with it.
0: Well, that's they're just reprinting. That's that's from. That's from Th- Heavy that's Metal. That's from the Marvel? No, it's from Heavy Metal. Oh. From like the 70s and 80s.
1: So they've edited together a serialized yeah, story into a single book. Right. And now it's they're heavy, selling, metal, it.
0: Okay. heavy Metal is always a comic book, right? right. And it's an anthology. So, right. And they're really into beautiful Sex women. <laughs> and things. Yes. So, judging, judging
1: from the movie, I've never actually... I think I read a, a Heavy Metal, like one issue of Heavy Metal... Right. And uh yeah, they're they're into the adolescent sex thing.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Well, that that's their market.
1: Yeah, exactly. They they are playing to their market perfectly.
0: But yeah, several of the heavy metal stuff has gone on to be published as, you know, collected graphic novel type works.
1: Cool. And I I'm, uh, In I'm fact, the original look alien.
0: Uh, they did Heavy Metal did a uh, comic book of it.
1: Oh, the actual movie yeah, or was this a,
0: a movie adaptation? Oh, okay. And it's it's seen a reprint once, and then supposedly when Prometheus was going to come out, they were supposed to reprint it again, but it has not yet come out. Because <clears throat> I want that one, but the actual issues of Heavy Metal that it's in are kind of pricey. And when I say pricey, you're like fifty dollars, but that's too much for a stupid comic book for me. Right. (laughs) I can't justify that.
1: I yep. I agree. I agree. And and personally, I am just fine with reprints. You know, I do not need to have the original one because I'm there for the story, not for the collecting purposes. Me myself.
0: Yeah, for the most part, I am too. But if I can get the original, I will do it.
1: Sure, as long as it isn't too pricey. Shall we go on to Nero? Uh, number two. Nero
0: two. Sure.
1: Nero two. Okay, uh, so this is number two. I think a lot of the people...
0: Uh,
1: I think everybody's the same. Was Chris Maury in the last one as the letterer?
0: No, it was it was Yutaki. Yutaki. Okay,
1: so Chris Murray is different. Everybody else is the same. Uh, September 2009, and here's the story. The cover is blood red in color with a tough-looking Nero clad in a leather coat and a very cool-looking turtleneck shirt. The shadows cast on his face make him look almost soulless and very dangerous. The alternate retail incentive cover is also red in color, but features a close-up of uh, Scotty. And, of course, it's a photo cover. The story opens on Ruripenthe, a close-up of Nero on the ground with a nasty-looking dog beast sinking his teeth into Nero's skull, tells us, in no uncertain terms, Nero is not in a nice place. There is a bet between two Klingon guards. One is taking the Romulan, and the other is taking the Klingon dog. With a savage effort, Nero is able to remove the dog from his skull, and proceeds to kill it. The one guard lost the bet, and Nero lost the point of his right ear. He almost looks human from the correct angle. Nero thinks to himself that he does not mind the fights he is put up to. It keeps him strong as the years pass. Indeed, when Nero is brought before the Klingon tribunal, he is commended for the fact that he has not said a word to his captors. He is told he will be broken eventually, and he will tell them the secrets of his marvelous ship, still in orbit of the prison asteroid. After 57 escape attempts and 22 dead guards, the warden states that if it were not for he and his men's mining talents that has brought the prison efficiency up 300% mining efficiency, since their arrival, they would have all been dead by now. Nero is sent back to his work. While there, he feeds on his hatred for Spock and eventual revenge on all of Vulcan. Later at night, he is able to settle down with a drug he acquired from another inmate. He thinks of the 20 years so far spent at Rorapenthe. He thinks of his wife and how she refused to leave with him the last time he departed Romulus with Spock to set the plan into motion to save the world. The plan that failed due to Spock. He awakens and later is introduced to a man named Clavel by his man IL. Clavel is a stellar cartographer before he was imprisoned by the Klingons, and he is human. He says he can help Nero with the physics problem he has, to figure out when and where a certain wormhole will open again. Clavel says he can work out this little problem, but whatever plans Nero has to get out of prison, he wants to be a part of it. The whole time, Nero has not said a word. He leaves Clavel and ailes company. A.L. says Nero accepted his offer and that they will talk again. That night, using nascent Romulan telepathic abilities brought to the surface by drugs he has been taking for relaxation, Nero orders A.L. to tell Clavel everything about Errata, the singularity, and Spock. Later the next day, the prison's contraband, King, takes possession of his latest shipment of Triox compound and data pads from a Klingon guard with no honor. Clavel gets the data pads to help with his work. Meanwhile on the Narada, the two Klingon engineers continue to figure out the mystery ship, or try to. They comment on how components they have removed just seem to grow back eventually. Suddenly a control panel comes to life, which elates the engineers at first. However, elation turns to horror as bolts of energy come out of those panels and disintegrate the two Klingon intruders. Clavel tells Nero that based on what he was told of the singularity, he is certain Spock was sucked into it also, and that he has not been spat out of it yet. However, figuring out exactly where and when Spock will emerge will take more computing power than he has access to in prison, possibly more than exists in the whole quadrant. Nero thinks that Clavel had told him enough to give him hope. Now that he knows it is possible to capture Spock and the Red Matter, he will find a way to do it. The Narada takes its next waking steps and fires upon the Klingon devices encircling it. Then it fires upon Rorapenthe itself. On the planet, Nero is taken by the guards to the warden who shows him the ancient staff weapon that he was captured with decades ago. While holding a drawing of Spock, the warden tells Nero he now has the means to end Nero's long silence. He says, they will begin now. Five minutes later from his cell, Ayell hears booms outside. The door to his cell opens and Nero stands in the doorway with a bloody Debrun taral, Taralan in his hand, telling him the wait is over. As Nero and his men carve a bloody path out of the prison to freedom, the Nerada is firing down upon the prison. Nero is called from behind by Clavel, who says Nero is taking him with. They all make their way to the shuttle used by the smuggling Klingon guards. They leave via a secret exit. As the shuttle approaches Narada, Klavo asks how they are so sure it will not fire upon the Klingon shuttle they are in. Nero simply states, she is waiting for them. She is waiting for me. The ship does indeed take them in. As they take their stations and try to steer the ship, the Narada will have none of it. The Narada is driving, and there is nothing Nero can do about it. Nero asks the ship, where is she taking them? Has she found Spock? The issue ends with a text to be continued, below a hell of a beauty shot of the Narada, moving quickly away from the icy blue Rurapenthe. The end.
0: I wonder where they're going.
1: I wonder. I guess we'll find out in the next issue. But obviously, the intelligence in the Narada, is a lot higher level of intelligence than we may have previously realized. Right. Or even Nero previously realized.
0: Yeah, I've, I kind of didn't like that. Yeah. It kind of... The whole thing with Cavill, or Crevel, whatever his name was, Yeah, what was the point of that if you were going to have the ship just figure it out anyways?
1: Uh, good point. And... I expect there's more to uh, Clavel than we currently know. By the time we see them in the 2009 movie again, you know, blowing up Vulcan, whatever, Clavel is nowhere around. So I look forward to seeing if Clavel turns out to be more than he currently appears to be and how he ultimately exits the storyline. Right. Because we know he does. Just don't know how.
0: Yeah, right. So we will see. I think you'll be surprised a little bit as to what what happens in part three.
1: Ah, because ah. of course you read them all I know, uh,
0: back when they were fairly new. That's right.
1: <laughs> and and I, I I happen to be the one in lockstep with the um, with reading with with, the, with our episodes. Right. Because I do not know what's going to happen
0: next. Now I am going to. You know, usually, I pride myself on how much I pay attention and catch little things in the movies. Right. I never caught that Nero was missing part of his ear in Star Trek 11. Neither did I.: In fact, I had to go back and look up pictures from Star Trek 11 and the ones before where he's talking to the Kelvin. he has both ears normal, and then later, he does indeed miss the tip of his ear.: That is cool. But I never caught it, and I've seen that movie a lot.
1: Right, <laughs>
0: and I will well, that- actually pop in the Blu-ray probably later today, just, just to make sure that uh, <laughs> how I missed it.
1: It's like how often you look at the top of characters' ears, and plus, it's usually pretty dark inside an errata, the Narada. Those, uh...
0: yeah, maybe they show him mostly from the, the right side. Side, I, I, I am
1: confident that this is a nuance that they definitely showed on screen, but I think it's the kind of thing that's way subtle.
0: Well, in the deleted scenes, when he's on Ruripenthe, because I did pull those up and watched them, man, he definitely is missing his ear. And he has the little scar where the dog bit him on the skull.
1: So do they actually show the dog fight?
0: No, they don't show the dogfight. They just okay. show him with the scars. Right. But speaking of deleted scenes, one of those deleted scenes was in the trailer, and it was such a cool line in the trailer, because you're watching the trailer, right. really wanting the movie to come out, yeah. and it starts off with Eric Bana saying, the wait is over.
1: The wait is over. Yes. I do like that.
0: And then when you go watch the movie, it wasn't there.
1: Yeah. You know, and, I guess uh, I'll have to wait. And I was wondering, I think to some degree I noticed that that wasn't in the movie when I went to see it, after like maybe the third time. <laughs> but um, I remember that was a pretty cool part of the trailer. But yeah, I guess I just never really took it beyond just thinking, "Oh, that never happened in the movie." But right. why not use some of the good stuff that you've cut out in the trailer? Why not? So um, it might
0: not have been taken out at that point. Yet.
1: No, might but not they have.
0: do that all the time. Sometimes I kind of like it when they film stuff just for the trailer.
1: Ah, or have music just for the trailer. Because I think that one of the... I mean, they had, like, what, two or three different trailers for the Star Trek movie? Uh
0: Uh-huh. The Um, original Star Trek movie or the 11th? 2009.
1: Okay. So the second or third one used different music that was not in the movie. Huh. And I really enjoyed that music. So it was not on the soundtrack because it wasn't part of the movie. It was just some extra music that they use for the trailer, and and in fact, a lot of movie trailers do use music that is specifically written for the trailer, and that does not necessarily uh, show up in the movie.
0: Right, or they just use music that that they just find or whatever. It, true, because <clears throat> like because the, the music's one of the last thing that goes on, right? Because usually the yeah. movie's cut before they they create the music for it. So right. the trailers come out a year before it's finished. So a lot of times the you timing. don't know what the music's going to sound right. exactly like. Exactly. And,
1: and and not only that, there I mean there's a functional purpose in having music that is tailored specifically for the very short trailer.
0: Oh, yeah, right. And a lot of times you'll hear music that that come from other movies that'll be in the trailer for this. I can't tell you how many movies you see the trailer for and they play that Alien soundtrack where, you know, when uh, when she's leaving the planet and it's about to go nuclear, uh-huh. and it has that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun uh-huh. music. That is in movie trailers all the time. Yeah. And a lot of times you'll hear a lot of Tim Burton's, um, not the Batman theme because that's, that's too specific, but a lot of times you'll hear, like, generic, like, maybe... Some of the Pee wee Herman stuff—that's yeah. that, not the main main theme, to right? Herman. But
1: some incidental music,
0: right? But you'll hear some of that in a lot of the Tim Burton stuff and things like that, and you're like, "Well, that music's not going to be in this movie," but I get it. it; it fits the same tone of of his of this sure. new movie.
1: And odds are, Danny Elfman's going to do it anyway, so it's like, true. Eh, "Why not use Danny's music?"
0: True, true, true.
1: When we see Clavel during the jailbreak, uh huh. I noticed the bladed weapon he has in his hand.
0: Which right, the klingon one. Exactly.
1: So he's got a klingon weapon which I believe is the same weapon that Warf used in first contact when they were on the outside of the Enterprise E. Right. And I thought that was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, he uses that weapon in a lot of deep space nine episodes. Oh, does he? Right. Cuz he and Jadzia have have comments They're sparring. That yeah, that he thinks that that weapon is more versatile than the uh, bat lift. Ah. and he shows how you can use that little machete thing to actually break a Bat'leth.
1: Ah, cool. So
0: that, I think that's where it came from, and then they used it in first contact.
1: Ah, cool. Yeah, and I'm—I was never as as strong a devotee devotee of uh, Deep Space Nine as you. I, I did not. I did not remember that from Deep Space Nine.
0: Cool. You should watch them. They're good.
1: I'll get right on that. <laughs> so, the big, I mean, I, I think I've seen almost all of them. It's just I i didn't necessarily watch them repeatedly. All right, I thought it was cool. I, li- I like seeing that weapon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, uh, it, again, in this issue, like the other ones, really good art. And I really like the coloring. Some of the colors in some of these panels is really visually a treat. Right. If I may say that yet again.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Like, when they're uh, when they're on the ship, the Narada, it's dark and gloomy. When they're on the surface of the planet, it's lighter, and you feel like it's colder, even though you're just looking at a picture. Right. Uh, no, I think they did a good job.
1: Yeah. Oh, the prison's contraband king. I think yep. his head is really interesting. I couldn't go into the details of him uh, in the synopsis, but he's... He's got multiple, he's kind of has multiple faces. So he's got his main, you know, his main face on the front of his head. <laughs> and then he's kind of got a, a half face on his right side. It's so
0: actually he's kind on of, both sides.
1: Well, I see that, I, I definitely see on the right side. Um, I didn't remember seeing on the left side, so I didn't want to assume. But yeah, I assume he's got a half face on his left side too. Yep. Um, and And it's interesting because on on the- si- on the right side it's I think it was one eye and part of a nose or part of a mouth i I, right. I should probably uh go back to that particular panel, but I just thought it was a very interesting alien
0: yeah, so he has basically three noses and four sets of eyes and really just one mouth okay but it's kind of cool because he, he's actually in the deleted scene. Of Aurora Penthe in the movie, oh, uh, and it's kind of cool because he's getting beaten up by the Klingons, and they they have the maps in their hands, saying, "Where did you get these maps?" And he's saying, "They're not mine." And they're like beating him up on the ground. And while he's on the ground, he'll look up at his with his middle two eyes, and then he kind of turns his head, and he's looking at them with his you know his left eye, but then his lefter eye, if you will. <laughs> But it was kind of cool that he kept moving his head, and, and you really got the sense that he was focusing with two different eyes at any given time. And then he, he tells them that he, they're Nero's, and then that's when it goes into Nero's torture scene Okay. that I think you were talking about earlier. Right. So, yeah, I like how he's in this book, and uh, we will be seeing him later.
1: Oh, so he made it off the uh, prison planet, too. Very good.
0: Yeah, I think he's on the Narada with them.
1: Oh, did they actually show him running with the rest onto the Narada? Uh
0: so like Clavel, okay. they
1: they took a couple different uh people along with them.
0: Um well maybe I'm wrong. I thought no, it did. Maybe
1: he is. I mean, he definitely was with them at one point in the jailbreak.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's there. Yeah. But oh yeah, yeah, on page uh Oh, well, I see my page nineteen. Page nineteen, it shows him when they're getting into the shuttle. So I'm assuming he's 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 in. He there, does say
1: this way the guards steal or yeah, because he so he's the guy that knows where the shuttle is. Okay, right. So that makes sense that he would go.
0: But the way he talks, sometimes he acts like he's talking to himself, as if he has multiple personalities. Personalities
1: in that in that weird head too.
0: Right. Ooh. So maybe are they? I couldn't tell if they were trying to imply that each face kinda has its own personality or Oh
1: wow. That is a that is alien.
0: Yeah. I I, I was gonna ask you if you were getting that same feeling or if you just thought he was crazy. Or I just thought he was crazy. But uh,
1: that's interesting if he's got multiple brains and personalities as well as multiple faces. Yeah. That makes him an even more interesting alien.
0: Now I I'm pretty sure you're not gonna remember this, but there is the Cantina scene in Star Wars, Not Star Galactica. Oh, well, oh um, good God! <laughs> no, the uh, in, in the original one, in the original miniseries, where they right. do a horrible ripoff of the Cantina scene, exactly. And so, in, in so, that one, there's a there's a singer that has the same type of
1: multiple faces. Yeah,
0: I can't remember if it's three faces or or just two. Do you remember or no?
1: Yeah, no. I, I I remember that. I don't remember all the details, but she has multiple mouths, right?
0: Right, so if she's she able has, to like, the eye thing that kind of like depending on which way she turned, she would focus on you with different eyes,
1: oh, interesting, so uh Orky and Kurtzman might have gotten the idea for this guy from Battlestar Galactica, oh my God,
0: uh maybe I'm making that part up. It's been a long time since I saw that wow. uh it, that original
1: yeah and by the way, your entire you know twelve world little colony empire whatever gets. Totally nailed and destroyed, and you're the the last remaining human beings. And what do you do? You go to uh, outer space Vegas.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, that just mm, that's like yeah, okay. I,
0: I like how they in the in the remake they there is no other aliens. Yeah, you know, there's Cylons and there's humans, but right. uh, in the original one they bumped into new people all the time, every week. Right. It was very Star Trekky and yep. Star Warsy.
1: Yep. And it made you kind of wonder, well, if all these other planets are around, then...
0: Yeah, you know, why are you trying to get to Earth so bad when you could just exactly. stop off anywhere?
1: Right. We're in the remake, which is, is not Battlestar Galactica podcast, but it makes a little more sense because they're not finding other places uh, to, that they could live on. But they do... Well, I, I mean, there is one point that they do and they actually do... Have set up a little colony on a, on a world, right? Uh, for a while, anyway. Hmm. Anyway, that's all I have to say about this issue. Okay, an excellent issue. Looking forward to seeing what happens next.
0: Yep, yep. That was my last comment as well. Yep. Cool. All right. So, expanded universe. We're covering two different times of two thousand and nine uh, when these Neros were coming out. IDW was also coming out with Star Trek uh, Spock Reflections, which we mm-hmm. covered in episode nine. Right. And we covered the expanded universe for August and September during that part, so we won't do that time so we'll just cover when Nero or when countdown number four came out, which was April of two thousand and nine two novels came out one was new Frontier Treason by Peter David I think this is like the eighth or ninth book of the new frontier storyline mm-hmm. and was the first one that that followed after the uh, turnaround comic book miniseries that we covered uh-huh. uh, way back when. So it was, it was a continuation of that story. Uh, I don't really know that much more about it than that. Never read it. Uh, you? Me neither. Okay. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. And then also in April of 2009, uh, a Voyager novel called Full Circle by Kristen Bayer. And this was Pocket Books' second attempt to relaunch Voyager. So there was a few books written by Kristen Golden that came out and kind of continued what happened to Janeway and company after they got back home. Um, but I guess they didn't do very well, so they kind of started over. That 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 stuff still happened, but they used a different writer. It right. kind of went in a different direction. So basically, it's Captain Chakotay and his commander, Thomas Paris, commanding the Voyager. And in this issue, they have to choose between following their orders or saving the lives of two of the, their most dearest friends. And that's actually B'Elanna and her daughter. Oh. So I well, have not read that one. I've read the Kristen Golden ones. I didn't think they were bad.
1: <coughs> that's going to especially cause problems for Tom. Exactly. I mean they're they're married, right? Yep. Or
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's his kid.
1: Yeah. Okay. Just try to make sure I got the continuity right.
0: Yeah, so I have not read this one. Like I said, I'm trying to read all the post nemesis stuff mm-hmm. in order. So full circle falls in that that ordering. So I'm trying to get through other ones first and I just I just don't have time, kid. <laughs>
1: I I don't know how you have time to read as much as you do.
0: Uh, All right, so that was it for the Expanded Universe. So we'll touch base again next week where we finish off Nero and we read the... Is it May 2009 issue of Wired? You actually have the issue. Um, Yes, I
1: actually have it in front of me right here.
0: What is the cover date on it?
1: It is May 2009. Hey, I was right. Yes.
0: Yeah, so uh, there's a a short comic book in there about Spock and uh, him being... Uh, abandoned on this Delta Vega, so we're going to cover that. Seems like a good place to put it. It's an excellent place.
1: Yep. Yeah, it more more details filled in, more backstory.
0: Yep. So, unless you have anything else, Ken, we can close up shop.
1: I don't have anything else. So, thanks everybody for joining us on the review
0: of Star Trek
1: comic books. Okay.
0: <laughs> Later, everybody. Take care, everybody.
1: Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star-t-comic-book-review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, wwwsaint comic book Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name st comic second name book review see you next time on star trek comic book review just get the hell out of here